One Week Season. Welcome to the OWS Week in Review show for week three of the NFL season. I am your host, Todd Burrows, at Best Ball NFL, and I am joined, as always, by my partner, the Flyboy himself, Hilo, who you can find on Twitter, at HiloFF. And it was another kind of odd week in the NFL, but we will do, as we um, always do, our review our processes, how we apply them, any regrets or things we would do differently, and of course, last but not least, our results for the week. And also, after that, we will be taking a listener request that we got in the Discord channel for review. So if you have anything you'd like to see this show do, feel free to put it in there. Mark and I will consider it, and perhaps it will become Part of the show. Now, I once again want to bring in the man with more jobs than lineups, Mark Garcia, or as we lovingly know him, Hilo. Mark, how what, are you today? What's going on, man? That was true, actually, for this past week because I only played three lineups. So we're back to more jobs than than lineups. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, last week you had eleven lineups, and you still can't convince me you didn't have more jobs than that. That's quite possible, too, actually. Yeah, if you if you consider keeping the wife happy, definitely. Yeah, each one of the kids counts as a job, so I got four of those. Oh yeah, uh, we st- we stopped at one. Um, I did always want a second, but my uh, a friend once said to me the biggest change is between one and two, because when you have one, it's all about the relationship between you and your kid. Once you know you introduce a second child, now you have that dynamic of them having to get along with each other. Yeah, like every kid up until probably three is a huge change. And then after that, you're just playing zone no matter what. So it, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. What what are yeah. you up to, eight? Yeah, at least. We're like at bunnies least. over here, dude. No, we got four, at man. Least. Four. Uh, I, I, I know my friend Billy Musio took a uh, trip to the Snipper um, not that long ago. Um, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> Shout out to Billy. Shout out to Billy. I don't think he, uh, well, anyway. So um, let's get going. On the player front, um, you did call, as you just mentioned, Alvin Kamara and Derek Henry restrictive chalk. For those of in our audience who haven't shelled out a few shekels to get your great cores, and, and by the way, you should, can you give a short explanation of your two types of chalk and why you thought those folks were restrictive chalk. Yeah, so without spoiling too much of the course, because obviously there's a, there's a lot of stuff in there that I, I feel would be paying a disservice to those who have bought the course. But um, yeah, real quickly, with, with chalk, I wanted to be able to classify things more than good chalk and bad chalk, because that is more a sense of... I know why you did that, by the way. Yeah. Because so, every time you said good chalk, I'd say good chalk, bad chalk. You know, I had my share. <laughs> yeah. It was more of that I wanted to be able to continue moving away from good play versus bad play, right? And and the way that 
my process has kind of expanded and how I've begun to understand game theory more and more as this this whole journey has has gone by. I wanted to be able to further break down what the chalk pieces, individual pieces would be doing to the roster overall. So I coined the two terms expansive and restrictive chalk. And that in my that is my way of conveying how a particular piece of chalk would affect the rest of rosters. So restrictive I have a couple belts and one I call my expansive belt. And one I call my restrictive belt. And unfortunately, I'm on the expansive one these days. Yeah, but you it's it's the same thing. Like what does what does a high priced running back do? Well, it, it restricts the rest of your roster, right? And if that player is chalk, then it's I classify it as restrictive chalk in the sense that a lot of or there's only so many more places for players to go with the rest of the roster because they're spending so much at one particular position. You know. I'll leave the rest of that explanation to the course because I think I really broke it down uh, in a position by position manner and and how from a game theory lens we can expect that to affect the rest of rosters. The other side of that is uh, expansive, uh, so that would be restrictive chalk. The other side to that is expansive chalk, where um, the example that I'll use, which is most common, is a backup running back stepping into um, a large expected workload. Um, re- we've only seen that really once this season so far with Dalvin Cook and this week, and DraftKings did a pretty good job of pricing him up for that possibility. So um, with expansive chalk, it doesn't affect a chalk build as much, obviously, because you still have so much salary per position to allocate. Yep. And you also thought the chalk build this week would include one expensive running back. From what you've seen, is that how the um, the slate played out? Yes and no, I would say. So from a looking back at the actual ownership percentages, it was um, pretty much like 30 to 40 percent. Co- like com- combinatorial ownership on those high priced running backs. Um, but I think a lot of that was affected. Like we, like we kind of alluded to in the podcast on Saturday with X um, by the overnight news of um, Dalvin cook. So we knew that those mid range guys were likely going to garner a little bit increased ownership. Um, so the chalk build, I think this week was, a split between like a one pay up running back and one mid priced and then two mid priced running backs. And as you well know, on Saturday X marks the podcast. Um, You guys definitely, I'm sure are checking that out. Um, You also mentioned, um, you know, that this week it was very likely that restrictive chalk, which is higher price quarterbacks would be a big part of how people build. That's where the ownership was looking. Um, is that what ended up happening and what did you personally do to avoid it? We saw a very even spread amongst the three tiers of quarterback pricing this week with uh, probably the pay up carrying a little bit more weight and then trickling down from there. Um, You know, pay up was the, as a player group was the highest ownership and then the mid range guys were the next up and then pay down saw a little bit of bump with, uh, with fields, um, but there was comparative much lower ownership on those those lower guys. So when I see something like that, where 
I expect the higher range of pricing at a high variance position um, to be heavily owned. I was immediately looking for ways where I could smartly leverage that. And paired with other things that led me to my approach this week was, which was pay down at quarterback. Yeah. So um, I took all that in and it kind of, and, and I could come up with a new sheet and I'm going to be doing a new video cast every week or most weeks where I, I've been um, maxing out the slant. And as long as I can continue to afford to do that, I will. Um, and I will be reviewing my ownership in the slant in the video. And also it's with uh, Roto Grinders great tool. I will be taking five or six of the key people, maybe the guy who won it, if he played a lot of lineups, uh, and some key people in the industry like Awesomeo, Chipotle Attic, Papa Gates, and we'll look at their ownership and try and backtrack to find what their process was to try and – and I've already learned a few different things from doing that myself last week. I'm excited about sharing that. But I will be sharing my quarter. I'll show you guys my quarterback sheet when I do that. So basically, it has the team totals, the game total, the ownership for a few different sites, the average of that ownership, the smash percentage, which Blender talks about. And then I pick a percentage of how many lineups I, you know, what percentage of my lineups I want the, those quarterbacks in. So I decided to fade Justin Fields the Kyler Murray, Trevor Lawrence game. And so what I'm focusing on is what's not, not just the ownership of the quarterback, but what's the ownership of both quarterbacks in that game to see if I can find leverage on the field. And what I ended up doing, I decided to fade those guys, which worked out great. And I decided to um, fade Josh Allen, which worked out less great. Um, I hit the Baltimore Detroit game hard. I hit the, um, um, Seattle game pretty hard. I hit the Matt Stafford over and Tom Brady under and was even weight overall. But again, I had leverage in that, even though I was even weight on the game, I had Matt Stafford. Um, I was overweight on Mahomes and Herbert, especially on Justin Herbert, which did work out pretty good. And I was overweight on, uh, the Daniel Jones, Matt Ryan game that, uh, stunk. But I don't have any regrets, Mark. A, I, I'd love your thoughts on, on some of what I just said, but I have no regrets because I think my process was pretty good, but I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are on my process. No, it sounds like an extremely sound process. And, and that all goes in for the listeners, that all goes into narrowing a player pool. And you know, even MME players are, are wanting to do that because you 150 lineups or 300 lineups, if you're um, if you were on the show, The Bachelor, um, it, it you still can't cover all the possibilities. So narrowing that player pool and developing a process to do that smartly uh, is huge. Um, for me, you want to hear what quarterback I played 100% of this week? Uh, Sam Darnold. Jared Goff, dude. 100%. Well, you told me you were going to do that, and normally I would scoff at Goff. But I ended up with 10% of my lineups with Jared Goff and 18% with Lamar Jackson. So I that was the game that I really felt had a good chance of being under the rate. That was my favorite spot of the week. 
So the projected ownership between the two of them was 14.3, and I had 28% ownership on them. So I was actually with you on the Goff um, train, and unfortunately, it didn't work out. Yeah, you look at that setup and the setup of the slate overall, and we had a Baltimore team who obviously puts up points. We had a Detroit team who had seeded 38 or more real scoreboard points uh, each of their last four weeks, um, dating back to last season. You had a coaching new coaching staff in Detroit who has shown over the first two weeks that they will get more aggressive in negative game scripts. So basically with that, we are playing to Lamar Jackson and the Ravens putting up points, which would thusly force aggression from Detroit. That didn't happen. We had multiple touchdown drops from Hollywood Brown. Holly dropped Brown. Oh my God. That was so Holly dropped Brown. That was so tilting, dude, because I knew that's all I I needed. I had had 50% Hollywood Brown in that 28% of my lineup. So what I do is I'll go in in those games and I'll kind of give a range for each player of where I want their ownership to be in those builds. And I'm a lot more aggressive than most people. I Most of my lineups, I force two players back from the opposition, not just one. Um, because if a game really blows up and you've got two guys coming back and you've got two guys plus the quarterback on the other team, you've got five guys and that game really blows up, Now you're really in rarefied territory as far as the percentages, but that's going to lower my floor on a week to week basis. And I'm willing to take that risk. I don't know that everyone is, but I know that I am. Yeah. And that situation in particular this week with that game, how I chose to generate my leverage is I knew that Baltimore would carry ownership. They would carry um, you know, a handful or a little bit of ownership with Hollywood Brown. And they, I knew Lamar Jackson would carry ownership. You know, Lamar Jackson, the second or third highest priced quarterback on the week. I knew that he could get there without bringing anybody with him. But to generate the leverage away from the field where I knew that a good chunk of the lineups would be paying up at quarterback, I ran naked three-man stacks of Jared Goff, DeAndre Swift, and TJ Hawkinson. And that effectively was giving me exposure to Lamar Jackson without having to play him because I knew that the only way that those guys would hit was if Lamar Jackson was putting up points. Yeah. And, and I went the other way. Um, I felt like if the game was going to blow up, it would be because Lamar Jackson and his legs. So I, I, the way I decided to be unique, and this just shows you guys, there's more than one way to skin a cat, you know, and, and as long as a cat gets skinned, right? Um, but I went with a double tight end, which I know a lot of people don't like, but I had, I made sure that I had, you know, between 60 and 70% of both Hawkinson and Andrews in those game stacks. It didn't work out, but my single entry team had that and it cashed. Um, if, if, uh, if Hawkinson had had a better day, I would have really done well, but that's another story. Yeah. If, uh, do you want to get into results or our lineups? Well, no, no, I've got, I've got a okay. few more, uh, uh, we got to tease the results a little bit. <laughs> All right. So I, I've got, um, 
I mean, you could mention a little like I just did, but I'm an MME guy who played a few single entry lineups um, right now. So uh, Barkley Cup and Godwin were neither restrictive nor expansive chalk due to their price point. How did you play them? Well, I faded Barkley completely because I felt that he would be the most chalky of the mid-range guys. And he was like, by the way, Lamar wasn't that owned. I, I was shocked when I saw it, 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 it he was 6% in the Millie and I think 9% in the slant. So it, it was really tilting that he didn't play well. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Um, but yeah, back, back to the running backs. Like I, I knew that Saquon would likely carry the most ownership of the mid range. So my game theory line of thinking was that he would be the most likely to be either paired up with a pay up court or a running back or paired with another mid-range guy. So my leverage off of both those scenarios was to not play him. Um, process, I think, was on point. My favorite pivot off of him in a vacuum um, was was Najee Harris. I didn't end up playing him um, because I wanted to basically increase the leverage because I knew I was paying, playing chalky wide receivers, which we'll get into here shortly. But uh, that's how I handled Saquon. Um, again, I dig the process. I identified the my favorite pivot. Um, but again, I was trying to generate more leverage than than purely a pivot, which him to Najee Harris was, a, was an easy, easy pivot. And we talked about that on the show on Saturday as well. Um, yep. The Go other ahead. two guys, Cup and Godwin, um, I played heavily and uh, I will save a little bit of the, the theory discussion for when we actually look at my roster here in a minute. Yeah, I went under uh, again. I got most of my Godwin and Evans through Matt Stafford and I faded Tom Brady. Um, that turned out to be a good decision. Um, you know, the other, you know, I've got the, I, I but I, with Cooper cup and, and woods, I, I in lineups that didn't include that game, I maxed them at 10%. I made sure I didn't have more than 10% um, because I wanted to play more DK Metcalf and Justin Jefferson, and I wanted to play more Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, and I ended up with 15% Mike Williams, and in the mid-20s on Metcalf and Jefferson, I had about 10% Keenan Allen. So um, that I felt like I felt like they were in as good a positions as the other guys with less ownership. So I don't have any regrets there. Do you have any regrets on Baltimore, Detroit? And, you know, I don't think you played much from Atlanta, New York. Uh, That was another big target of mine. I don't have any uh, regrets, Mark, because I think it was good process that led us there. And when you take games on a slate with three uh, games at with 53 to 55 totals and you pick two games with 48. Um, I, I think, you know what you're getting into. You're hoping for something and it just didn't happen, but I knew what I was getting into. So I didn't have any regrets. Yeah, no, again, like I felt like my process was, was real tight this week. Um, I ended up not playing New York and Atlanta on the main slate and I chose to get my, it, it was the pits. Yeah. I <laughs> see what you did there. I chose to get my exposure to that game through the early, early only slate where I felt that they would be far less owned because I saw some buzz starting to generate of, over that game. Um, 
late Saturday and then into Sunday. So, um, yeah, I just chose to get my exposure to that game on the early only slate, which obviously did not go well. But uh, on the main slate, it was my primary was that uh, Baltimore Detroit game. Yeah, I, I mentioned DK Metcalf and Justin Jefferson. I'm guessing that was who you alluded to earlier. That game seemed to be heading for a blow up, but the second half disappointed. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I had I had one lineup with all of Cup, Godwin, DK Metcalf and Justin Jefferson. So taking, you know, one wide receiver from each of the expected highest owned games um, and again, paying almost no attention to ownership at that point because I was so differentiated through the rest of my roster that it, it didn't matter. Um, and then um, mixing and matching other wide receivers from that game. So I'll talk a little bit about my portfolio composition with respect to those high owned uh, wide receivers here in a minute. Um, but there were, there were ways to play that game, those two games shooting out smartly this week. Yeah. <clears throat> um. I think you mentioned a, a really key point. And, you know, it goes back to my mixed drink analogy. You know, you don't want to drink with too much alcohol. It's too strong. You don't want to drink with not enough alcohol. It, it's, you know, too weak. Um, I, I, I feel like a lot of the questions we get in Discord sometimes, you know, I, I, I'm only mentioning this because I want you guys to really get this. You know, it's about the total chalk in the overall lineup right so in my single entry which i played lamar jackson hawkinson andrews uh my my running backs were swift and clyde edwards hilaire who i expected to be pretty chalky um you know and swift turned out not to be and clyde's edwards you know it's funny no one really ended up all that chalky except for hawkinson but the uh, the point is i knew that by pairing Hawkinson and Andrews together, I had differentiated my team enough that if those two guys hit, it didn't matter how much other chalk I had. So that is one of the key points I think we want to get across to people. Correct, Mark? Yeah, yeah. And I'll uh, I'll go through my single entry roster real quick because I think it hammers down that point a little bit, if you don't mind. Not at all. So my single entry roster, I started with the three-man pairing in Detroit of Jared Goff, DeAndre Swift and TJ Hawkinson. I furthered my leverage by playing basically two pay down, maybe one, one mid range, one pay down running back, not named Clyde Edwards Hilaire. So obviously DeAndre Swift was a part of that. And the other running back was Naheem Hines, who kind of had the flop lag feel. He was in a game where I felt that he would see an increased snap rate based on Carson Wentz being immobile and um, how that game was most likely to play out. And that ended up transpiring. And Naheem Hines saw 10% more snap rate than Jonathan Taylor did this week. Um, So that was my overall leverage was only the running back position and that three-man Detroit stack. And then I could play, I played all of Cup, um, Godwin, uh, DK Metcalf and Justin Jefferson on that lineup because I knew nobody would be playing it the way that I was building a roster that way. Um, and then I rounded it out with Cincinnati defense. So again, you're, you don't need a roster full of off the board plays. I played the four highest chalky wide receivers, which I almost never do, but I knew that I was generating enough leverage, particularly for single entry 
that I was comfortable going in. And, you know, that lineup put up 170 points. If Goff and Hawkinson, if that game environment turns out a different way, I'm pushing for a shift. So um, I really, I, I like the way that my process came together with that respect this week. Yeah, my single entry team was very similar, except I decided to go with Lamar Jackson. Uh, and I felt I could differentiate anyway. I felt like just, you know, I felt like it was a Mark Andrews week. And as I mentioned, I had both tight ends, Swift and Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I had the Metcalf Jefferson pairing. I had the Bengals D. That's all pretty chalky, but not together. But then my last player, I went a couple hundred dollars less than what I had. I, I played a couple lineups with uh, Boyd, who was the, the most chalky guy who would fit there. But w- most of my money in the tournaments where there was big prizes, I went with Jalen Waddle as my last guy, and he ended up 1.5% owned uh, in, the mil- in the millionaire. I, I always play my single entry in the millie. Um, but... Um, uh, 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 you know, so uh, I, again, it gets the point across, Mark, that we 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 don't need to over differentiate and call. You know, Blender would say, you know, how many points are you giving up to do that? Right? You run the optimizer. The top lineup's two forty. If your lineup is, you know, that you've handcrafted comes in at like two hundred and ten points, you've given up too many projected ceiling, uh, not ceiling, uh, median points to to get different. Um, now, giving up 10 points is fine. Giving up even 15 points is fine. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a balancing act, and that's the point we want to get across to our listeners. Yeah, for sure. All right. So it is that time, Mark. Um, you said you got 170 points out of your main lineup. How was the week for you? Uh, so, yeah, I actually, I made about 20% profit on three lineups that all had a nine points from my quarterback and three points from my tight end. So overall process was sound. Um, I was able to, I wanted to really heavily target the Minnesota and Seattle game, but do it basically with correlated one-offs at the wide receiver position primarily. Um, I did include Madison in that um, Sunday morning. So I had one lineup with uh, Madison and Swift at running back. Um, And then my final lineup, I went with Eckler and Swift at running back um, and basically went down from Chris Godwin uh, to Scotty Miller, who I thought was an interesting leverage piece this week. I didn't think anybody would be paying down at wide receiver. So uh, I went down from Godwin to Scotty Miller to, again, increase leverage on a roster where it was more in line with the chalk build. So for me, I lost um, because basically I, I think the key reason uh, that I had an underachieving day was that I built towards, you know, like I said, games blowing up uh, with two bringbacks on a lot of my lineups. And um, I, um, I'm sorry, my daughter just texted me and threw me off. Um, but basically, I um, think, you know, it, it was more of a balanced, uh, the top builds were uh, kind of balanced. Um, so 
basically I did have one lineup that was in first place uh, in the, um, the nickel, the, the huddle, I think it was, hold on. What was the name of this thing? I ended up with 204 points. I, uh, the nickel, the hundred K nickel. Um, I had a Herbert Gibson, Hilaire, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, uh, Emmanuel Sanders, Kelsey Higby and Cardinals D and Higby didn't do anything after a nice start. I finished 12 points off first place. So again, Mark, even in a week where I, you know, I'm trying to get that one lineup through every week and I'm getting close, but still a bridesmaid. Yeah. And it's the, the one blow up spot was the one that you faded, right? Like there was one this week and it was Josh Allen, Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley, which I don't think very many people were on probably a majority of the rosters that had um, Josh Allen brought it back with uh, Stefan Diggs. So that was uh, definitely an interesting week. Yep. Yep. All right. So let's, uh, that's our, you know, that pretty much covers what we normally cover. Uh, But we got uh, one of our very good listeners and community members, Nutsky, asked if we would review a winning lineup. Uh, I think that's a great idea, Mark. I think some weeks we can pick uh, the slant or the Millie maker um, and other weeks we can do a single entry contest. Look at the winner's lineup and see what they were doing. And I got to be honest, what really made me feel much better about my losing was seeing the lineup that he had. Uh, Let me let me go over it. So uh, it was a Justin Herbert lineup and I was way over on Herbert. I had 17% CEH and about the same of Harris. Uh, Metcalf, we already covered. Um, Will and Chase at wide receiver. Higby at tight end. Flex Madison. So he had an um, he had a Herbert Will stack with CEH coming back. He had a Metcalf Madison correlation. And a Jamar Chase and Harris correlation with Higby and the Cardinals defense. He played 76 lineups. It was top dog 5-2-5-2. That made me feel so much better. The optimizer didn't spit out that lineup for me, Mark. But my process could lead me to a lineup just like that. Yeah, it's a solid, it's a very well put together lineup from both a roster construction and a game theory uh, sense. Absolutely. Um, anything else on that lineup? Um, I, it was interesting to me looking at the lineup where he chose the one, basically the one uncorrelated piece was his tight end and Higby, um, not having a bring back from the Bucks, missing one of their key players. So that stuck out, or I guess stood out to me. Um, but there's really not much that I can poke holes here uh, in this lineup. I like it a lot. Honestly, I did the same thing. I picked five or six main tight ends this week. Higby was one of them. Um, I correlated. um, Did I correlate Hawkinson? No, I didn't correlate Hawkinson. I didn't correlate Higby. I left them out of the, the correlations. I forget if I did it with Kyle Pitts or not. Hold on one second. I can look. Um. Player correlations, control F. Uh, of course, I spelled it pilts. 
Oh, it didn't come up. All right. So when lineups include any of Ridley and Pitts, bring back Barkley, Shepard, or Gallaudet. So I did do it with uh, with Kyle Pitts. But um, I felt that those guys were in that game. I was trying to get more of that game, even mm-hmm. in, you know, so that does show something, Mark. It shows that my thought process was I love that game. So I really wanted to correlate even in non-game stack. Um, but Hawkinson, I didn't feel Baltimore had enough, you know, an, a, a, a stable enough piece to bring back. And I, I didn't feel the same way with Higby. I know I could have with uh, Godwin and Evans, but I felt like at his price point, I wanted Higby. I decided to just limit Higby to under 20%. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that I like the process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't win, but yeah, top dog five two five two did. But like, uh, I'm joking because again, I do feel like if you keep making it, and this is something Blender talks about, if you keep making good lineups, it'll come, and it's been co- uh, almost coming, but not not there yet. So hopefully next week is the week, Mark. Yeah, dude. Feel like we're we're scratching it as a community too. OWS is is all over the top of leaderboards right now. Yeah. Uh, all right. If you guys have any other questions, anything you'd like to see be part of this podcast, uh, copy me in the in the review section of the Discord. I will talk to Mark about it, and who knows, maybe it will be uh, added to this podcast as well. That's it for us this week. Um, Good luck to everyone and uh, with the showdown tonight. And Mark, I'm looking forward to talking to you next week. Yeah, brother.